0: This episode of Israel Story is sponsored by Laura Solomon, in honor of her 25th wedding anniversary with Mark Solomon. Their love story began in graduate school at the University of Pennsylvania. Over the last quarter century, they've spent time in Jerusalem and have lived and worked in Wynwood, Pennsylvania, where they're surrounded by their terrific community and friends. The stars of their story are, of course, their three children, Avi, Adin, and Dvora. Laura would like to celebrate, thank, and honor Mark, the love of her life, for twenty-five wonderful years. She looks forward to their next chapters together and to their ongoing joint Israel story. So, from all of us here, Mazal Tov, Laura, Mark, and all the Solomon family. So you might remember that our last episode part one of our mixtape miniseries, ended with quite the cliffhanger. We were in 1968, and Uri Avneri, the young and provocative left-wing politician, suggested replacing Atikva, the national anthem. Uri, what led you to suggest changing the Israeli anthem?
1: Well, I detest the Israeli anthem because the anthem has nothing to do with Israel. It was composed by an unimportant poet, and uh, it is about Jews somewhere abroad who are longing for the land of Israel. It has nothing to do with people in the land of Israel. I don't turn to the east because I live in the middle. In the east, I'm looking at Jordan or, or, or India or China. It is a completely irrelevant song irrelevant to a state in which we have two different populations, the Jewish and the, and the Arab. And I will, I'm, for, for many, many years, I'm thinking about the need to get rid of this anthem and have a real Israeli anthem.
0: And his proposed new anthem was pretty surprising, coming from a lefty like himself. It was the unequivocal anthem of the Six-Day War, Yerushalayim Shel zahav Here's our mixtape band's rendition of it. Down yeah. I'm Mishi Harman, and this is Israel's Story. Israel's Story is brought to you by PRX and is produced together with Tablet Magazine. Today, we bring you part two of our mixtape mini series Iron and Gold. In this mini-series, we're telling the stories behind some of Israel's most iconic tunes. Stories that reflect the intricacies of Israeli society, the complications that are inherent in it. And in this episode, we go back in time more than half a century, to a month that, in a very real manner, shaped the way Israel looks till today. Okay, so Nomi Shamer's Yerushalayim Shel Zahav, or Jerusalem of Gold, which you just heard, was the song Uri Avneri wanted to fashion into the national anthem.
1: So I proposed it, and the speaker of the Knesset told me that before he brings this uh, bill, which I proposed, to the Knesset plenum, I need to have the agreement of the author of Nomi Shemel.
0: Uri met with Nomi to discuss the matter, but his proposal never made it to the Knesset floor. Hatikva was spared. Still, even today, and despite his objection to much of its content, Uri is convinced that is an anthem. And in a way, he's right. The song is probably the most recognizable and beloved Israeli tune ever. Time and again it's voted the most important song in Israel's history. Here's Leli Shemir, Nomi Shemir’s daughter.
2: Maybe it sounds like a prophet that comes before the king. It's something very, very uh, majestic about it. I don't know. It's uh, all over the world. It's not only Jewish people. I can't explain it. There is something about this song that is uh, magical.
0: It's a song that built two musical careers— of two modern-day Israeli prophets. One, a prophet of hope and optimism. The other, a prophet of gloom and despair. And if Yerushalayim Shel Zehav has reached such an iconic standing, so has its creator, Nomi Shemir.
3: For me, Nomi Shemir is part of, you know, of my being Israeli. That's
0: Moti Zeira, Shemir's biographer. He and many others, really, feel that Nomi is a personification of a certain kind of Israel, a desired and longed-for Israel, of Eretz Yisrael HaYafah, innocent, beautiful, and simple. Nomi was born on Kibbutz Kineret, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee.
2: Her parents were
3: pioneers and very, very idealistic people. And she represents something that is very from here. Her writing gives a very unique melody or, or sound of Israeliness. You can smell the, you know, the fields of Kinneret. It's the, it's the ideal Sabra. By early
0: 1967, Nomi was already a well known songwriter. She was 37 years old. And having left both the kibbutz and her husband, she and Lely were living in Tel Aviv. But in the small, relatively poor state of the mid 60s, it wasn't easy for a single mom to pay the bills.
2: And as a girl, I knew it. She explained it to me. It was part of my life that it's not easy.
0: Which is why Nomi was very happy when, in February 67, she received a commission for a new song from Gilaldema the musical director of Festival Hazemir Vapizmon. This annual festival pop music competition took place on Yom Ha'atzmaut, Israel's Independence Day, in Jerusalem. It featured an accompanying symphony orchestra, and it was a big deal. There was no TV yet in Israel, but the festival was broadcast live on the radio, and the winning songs often became national hits. Gil told Nomi that Teddy Kolik, Jerusalem's then first-term mayor, had approached him with an exciting idea. While the votes for the songs participating in the competition were being tallied up, the audience would hear a few bonus tracks, new ones, written specifically about Jerusalem.
3: Gil asked Nomi whether she wanted to give it a shot. And she thought it would be very, very easy for her to do it, because she loved Jerusalem. Jerusalem is part of her biography. But when she
0: actually sat down at the piano, she struggled. How, she wondered, could she possibly capture the holiness of a city that generations upon generations of poets and bards had been writing about for nearly 2,000 years? She even went up to Jerusalem, a divided Jerusalem, and took in its sounds and smells. That didn't help either. But just before she gave up, she remembered an old Talmudic tale she had studied as a schoolgirl. The tale of a piece of jewelry that Rabbi Akiva had given his wife as a way of saying thank you for encouraging him to study Torah. The piece of jewelry had an etching on it. Of Jerusalem. Jerusalem of
2: gold, Yerushalayim shel Zahav.
3: In, in 24 hours or something. She wrote it, and she gave it to Gilaldema. Hilal Dema
0: died in 2014, but he was supposedly so moved just by the sheet music Nomi had sent in that he burst into tears.
2: She wrote a song very, very personal about her childhood, about her. Her memories about what she
0: remembered from school about a Jerusalem of gold. She continued to tinker with the song. And when she was finally satisfied, she invited some of her closest friends over to her apartment to hear it.
2: And one of them was Rivka Michaeli, her friend. We were close friends, really close
4: friends. My name is Rivka Michaeli. I was born in Jerusalem. From my mother's mother's side, I'm ninth generation in, in Israel, in Palestine.
0: Rivka is a famous entertainer, actress, and singer. At the time, though, she was one of the country's leading radio broadcasters.
4: It was very moving when she sang it. And then I said, you know, both my parents were born in the old city, and my father, he dreams about
2: the old city all His life. Every night he is in the old city. Rivka told my mother, Nomi, the song is not complete. Something is missing. What about the old city? And then she added the important uh,
0: part. How have the cisterns dried up, the line goes... The marketplace is empty. And no one frequents the Temple Mound
3: in the Old City. It's talking about the emptiness of the the Old City.
0: Now, remember that this is all before the Six-Day War. And while Jerusalem's Old City certainly wasn't empty, as many critics of the song have since pointed out, it was empty of Jews. It was part of Jordan. In any event, once the song was ready... Nomi and Gil began looking for someone who could sing it at Festival Va Vapizmon.
2: And that's how I'm in the story again.
0: <laughs> a few months earlier, 11-year-old Leli had been listening to a young talent show on her transistor radio.
2: And then I hear a voice like uh, bells, like uh, John Baez with a guitar. And I called my mother... Ima, boy, this is the the sound that you like. Look how she, she sings, she, how beautifully, how like something from abroad, but so Israeli. And my mother said, take a, a paper and write her name down, please. And I wrote Chuli Natan.
0: <laughs> Nomi kept that little note with Chuli's name, just really in case.
2: Maybe she will need it someday.
0: And now... That day had come.
2: And my mother told Gil dema I have a name of a singer. She's very, very young. I think she's a soldier in the army. (laughs) She's maybe 19. Please find her for me.
0: Dutifully, Gil did just that. He found her, Sergeant Shulamit Natan, who was serving as a Mora a Hebrew teaching soldier, near Kiryat Gat,
5: Well, my name is uh, Shuli Natan. I was born in London and arrived in Israel when I was two and a half years old.
0: Needless to say, Shuli was completely unprepared when, on a cold winter day of February 1967, she was summoned to the offices of the regional council, where her mother was on the line. She was sure something terrible had happened.
5: And the first thing my mother said, Shuli, don't worry. Nothing terrible happened at home, but sit down on a chair. And she said, Nomi Shemer wants to meet you. (laughs) Luckily, I sat on a chair because I was so shocked.
0: On her first vacation from the army, young Shuli went to see the balladeer from Tel Aviv.
5: And there she sat on her piano and she played strongly a song for Jerusalem and she said, I don't want the orchestra to play with you, just you and the
0: guitar. Plucked out of total anonymity, Shuli began practicing for what could be her big break, her brief moment in the national spotlight.
5: I thought it would give me some exposure, but no uh, no more than that. So I had no expectations, and everything came as such a surprise.
0: The period leading up to the festival was extremely stressful. Gamal Abdel Nasser, the president of Egypt, was amassing troops in the Sinai. And Israel, too, began mobilizing forces and calling up its reservists. A menacing scent of war was in the air. And in the middle of all this Balagan, 3,000 people gathered in Binyana in Jerusalem to listen to pop songs. The songs that actually competed in the festival were a letdown. The paper the next day would describe them as third rate imitations of the 1953 San Remo festival. But when the votes were being counted, Shuli, with her long black hair and white knitted dress, took the stage with her guitar. Shuli Natan. Ushmosh el Hashir. Yerushalayim Shel Zahav.
5: I was very, very nervous, like a leaf in the wind, you know. I was very nervous. My main fear was that I will have a blackout and will forget words, but I didn't.
0: Shuli sang of holy places, of Jerusalem's glorious past and golden future.
5: It was like a prophecy.
2: It was different, it was shocking. It sounds like the bells of Jerusalem. It's almost a holy song.
4: It's a prayer, it's expression of hidden, mutual longing
5: for something you can't touch. And I think there wasn't a dry eye in in the audience. When I finished to sing, first of all, there was a quiet. And then there was such applause. Unbelievable.
3: You could hear from the clapping hands and from the applause and, and, and everything that something is happening. It was like blowing the mind of everybody.
5: It's hard to explain magic, but it's true that there is magic in it.
0: At the end of the evening, Teddy Kollek, the beaming mayor, took the microphone.
5: And he said, And I want the soldier girl. He didn't remember my name even who sang the song for Yuru to come back and sing it again. Wow! And I was way back in the dressing rooms and I ran with my guitar, which wasn't even completely tuned, and I ran on the stage, my heart beating, and I sang it again. And this time the whole audience, the whole crowd uh, joined me and sang together with me the refrain. The next day, it like... It flooded the country. It was played nonstop while they were recruiting the reserves. My mother started to
2: get uh, letters and calls like nothing she she experienced before. Thousands
3: of letters.
0: Thousands. One of those letters, Moti, the biographer told us,
3: was addressed to No Mishemer, Jerusalem Shel zav, Tel Aviv. And and she got it. (laughs) I mean, even the post, they knew where to send it.
0: (laughs) The immediate impact of the song, the excitement around it, it was all unparalleled.
3: She was the sound of something collective. I mean, people didn't know what will happen. The reserve uh, soldiers were already, you know, on the borders. The associations were all over about the Shoah, about the Holocaust. I mean, the question of whether Israel can still exist after the war was not so... People felt that it's not true. In a nation preparing for war, Nomi's uplifting words struck a chord. And it became the song of everybody. Everybody. Among
0: the thousands of reservists waiting around for war to break out, was a 25-year-old paratrooper called Meir Ariel. Here's his widow, Tirza.
6: They didn't stop putting Jerusalem of gold, Jerusalem of gold, Jerusalem of gold. You couldn't hear anything else in the radio except this song.
0: Meir was from Kibbutz Mishmarot, near Hanna. Just another boy who
6: born on a kibbutz. Tractor driver.
0: And a few weeks earlier, on a Saturday afternoon, he had been called up for reserve duty.
6: I just remember it was just another day, and everybody jumped to the uniform. And me and Mayor didn't uh, have a baby yet. And Mayor's parents came to our apartment, and I wanted them to leave. I wanted to to myself, I had to try to have a baby before he's going to the war. I cannot lose him and his looking. His looking was something like you can never meet in this world. Maybe there is some few that look not bad, but for me, he was everything money can buy, okay? I think I was the queen of beauty and he was the King David. That's what I have to say. What was the
0: question? (laughs) When the war broke out on June 5, 1967, Meir's brigade had a historic task. Meir
6: was a tzankhan, parachuter. He was fighting in
0: Jerusalem. Meir participated in the Battle of Ammunition Hill, in which 36 of his fellow paratroopers were killed. He continued through Sheikh Jarrah, took over the Rockefeller Museum, and on the morning of June 7th, the third day of the war, he entered the Old City and reached the Western Wall. It was a moment of solemn jubilation. After nearly 2,000 years, the Kotel was once again in Jewish hands. An almost uncanny fulfillment of the dreams Naomi had expressed in her song. And there was really only one way to capture the magnitude
3: of the moment. The paratroopers in the Kotel started to sing Yerushalayim Shilzaev.
0: Meir was probably one of those soldiers singing.
6: When they conquered Jerusalem, the whole country like, had an
0: orgasm from happiness. But Meir was also hurting. He'd seen blood and pain. His friends had been injured and killed. And somehow Nomi's optimism Her romantic descriptions of returning to Jerusalem's old city didn't fit what he had seen on the ground.
6: Meher was a soldier, just finished to see all his friends get killed and wounded in fucking gold Jerusalem. And he was thinking to himself, what gold you are talking about? What the hell? The song was wrong. The situation was a completely different chaos.
0: As a way of killing time, really, he took out a small notepad he used to keep in the front pocket of his uniform and wrote down new words to the melody of Yerushalayim Shel Zav. Meir's version was called Yerushalayim Shel Barzil, Jerusalem of Iron. And it talked about all the things that Nomi's anthem didn't. Grieving mothers, mortar shells, Thick smoke and spilled blood. To Meir, Jerusalem was no longer just a place of gold, bronze, and light, but also one of iron, lead, and darkness. Nomi's Jerusalem was a fantasy. Meir's was a battlefield.
3: He wanted to give expression to what he experienced in the war. And this was the vehicle to to express it.
6: But he didn't think to do anything with it. It was for the soldiers' friend he had. When they finished something and they got together around a fireplace,
3: they used to sing. It was very easy. I mean, everybody knew the melody of Yerushalayim Shazav. And uh, when he uh, performed it in his unit, so people, it expressed something that they felt.
0: Shortly after the war, there was a big official gathering of paratroopers at the newly liberated amphitheater on Mount Scopus. There were speeches, skits, and performances, all celebrating the unimaginable achievements of the war. And then, sort of like that scene in Forrest Gump, a soldier with a guitar on his back was pushed onto the stage. It was Meir, and this is what he sang.
7: Yerushalayim, shem v'azel, v'shel of fered, Yerushalayim We found a love We loved him We came to my brother And to Yerushalayim Yushalla him shall vazel the shell of fair Vesha Schor Hallet Karanudro Yushalla Yerushalayim shell zahav the shell of fair
0: For centuries upon centuries, alchemists have tried to turn iron into gold. And then came along a curly-haired kibbutznik, and with a few lines turned gold into iron. When Meir sang, the same thing that had happened three weeks earlier at Binyane'a Uma, happened once more.
3: It gave expression to something that they felt. As soldiers that just finished the war,
8: Here's Meir's son, Shachar. The families that lost somebody in the Six-Day War are uh, forever, in a way, in debt to my father for just saying that out loud. Because nobody else did, you know? No politician, no, no general, chief of staff. Nobody was talking about the fact that the price was so severe.
0: Rivka Michaeli, Nomi's broadcaster friend who had suggested adding the stanza about Jerusalem's old city, was at Mount Scopus recording the event for the radio.
4: And uh, after I heard this song, Jerusalem of Iron, I was astonished. Suddenly, the view of the war changed, and you saw it's not victory, it's blood, and it's smoke, and it's black. We knew there were uh, young people that sacrificed their lives, but uh, we weren't aware of it. We were so happy as a nation, and it was like popping the balloon when Meir came out with his song. How? Oh, ouch.
0: Rivka recognized Meir's talent. She went up to him and asked,
4: What's your name? He said, Meir Ariel. Can you wait? And I'll record this song. And I recorded the song and they broadcast it next morning.
8: It became a very strong hit, and it marked him as as a protest singer.
0: Meir, the tractor driver from Kibbutz Mishmarot, was nicknamed Hatzemchana Mizamer, the singing paratrooper, and thrust into the limelight.
6: Right away, they make a record out of this song, and for a while, it was running in the radio even.
0: What ensued was a copyright battle between Nomi and Meir, which was ultimately resolved, mainly in Nomi's favor. Meir was an unlikely hero. You see, he wasn't the anti-occupation, rabble-rousing prophet he was later made out to be.
8: He loved Hebrew, and he loved this place, he loved Israel, and he loved the people.
6: He was just a member of a kibbutz, nobody.
0: But suddenly, with this song, he was no longer nobody. Just like Nomi and Shuli, Meir had become a symbol. And he didn't like that. We
6: ran out of the country because of this song. Because they started calling him the parachuter Singer. And he couldn't
8: stand it. And he didn't like people tagging him to this or that movement. He wasn't a left-winger, he wasn't a right-winger. He was talking about people. It was always about the people and about feelings. And we went for almost three years to the United States,
6: just so they forget the parachuter singer.
0: <laughs> but in the early 70s, Mayer came back and launched a long career as a singer-songwriter. In 1999, he died of a tick-bite-induced fever. Nowadays, he has an almost cult-like
8: following. Many consider him to be a prophet. He definitely saw beyond his time. A lot of people call him the Israeli Bob Dylan, and now some people call Dylan the American Mayor Ariel, you know. Nomi died
0: of cancer in 2004, Feted and celebrated in every possible way.
2: My mother is, I think, one of the very important figures in the Israeli culture. Her life were parallel to the life of the, of the country.
0: So, while neither Nomi nor Meir are around with us today, their two songs live on. And even now, half a century after the dramatic month that birthed them both, They represent two different Israels. There's the idealized one, the one that hopes and yearns. And then there's the realist one, the one that says, no, things here are tough and painful. It isn't exactly right or left. Both Nomi and Meir somehow eluded those political labels. But it does say something about who we want to be. Pragmatists or dreamers? And that's our episode, part two of our mixtape miniseries. We're going to pick up next episode with the 1978 version of the same festival that made Yerushalayim Shel Zav such a hit, Festival Zemir Vapizmon. There, exactly 11 years after Shuli mesmerized the crowd, it was this guy's turn.
8: All right, I'm Izar Cohen. Uh, what do you want? My age, uh, my uh, shoe size, what, what, what do you want me to say? You just open the internet, you write... Cohen, and you read everything about me (laughs) it's easier
0: so by all means go ahead and google him but be sure to tune in next time for an episode which is all about the oriental or Mizrahi music scene till then you can catch up on all our past episodes in both English and Hebrew on our site on iTunes and on any of the other main podcast platforms Also, if you want to help us grow and reach new listeners, please spread the word. Share your favorite episodes and stories on social media, tell your friends, your family, and sign them up to our feed. As always, you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all under Israel Story. And if you want to sponsor episodes of Israel Story, simply drop us a line at sponsor at prx.org. Thanks to Pamela Lavitt, Dana Pruchno, Lori Sehan, Michael Garnett, and Daniel Vital from the Seattle JCC. And to Elaine Cohen, Eric Siegel, and Esther Mazor at the Kaplan JCC on the Palisades in Tenafly, New Jersey. Thanks also to Sheila Lambert, Hanoch Piven, Nomi Schneider, Esther Werdiger, Wayne Hoffman, Shiraz Ariel, Motizada, Zada, A.B. Levy, and David Broza. This episode was recorded by Russell Castiglione and Josh Peel at the Dubway Studios in New York, and by Adrian Lau at the Off-Record Studios, also in New York. Yochai Metal and Shai Satran edited this episode, and our favorite, Selle Weissblum, mixed it all up. All the original music throughout the episode, alongside the covers of Yerushalayim Shel Zav and Yerushalayim Shel Barzel, were written, arranged, and performed by our wonderful mixtape band, Dotan Mushanov and Ari Wenig, together with Ruth Danon, Eden Jamshid, and Ronnie Wagner-Schmidt. Israel Story is brought to you by PRX, the public radio exchange, and is produced in partnership with Tablet Magazine. Our staff includes Yochai Metal, Shai Satran, Maya Kosovo, Roy Gilron, Zev Levi, Ari Wenig, Hannah Barg, Rotem Tsin, Judah Kaufman, and Abby Nushatz. A very warm welcome to our newest cohort of interns who began last week Pola Lem, Yoshi Fields, and Joel Shupak. I'm Ishii Harman, and we'll be back very soon with part three of our mini series. So till then, Shalom Shalom and Yalabai.
8: Karagil Milim Umangina Nomi Shemer, Ushmoshel Hashir,
0: Yerushalayim <laughs> Shel Zahav.
9: How do you... Use-
8: זה השיר, ירושלים של זהב
1: והערב <winning Norway> עוד ארוך תודה רבה לשולי נתן <five Hinduism>